It was a moving experience a few weeks ago to stand with some others of you beside the Western Wall in Jerusalem. Others of you have visited that site as well, which is the most holy shrine among the Jews in all of the world. The Western Wall, or the Wailing Wall, as it is sometimes called by Gentiles, is such a sacred spot because it is part of the foundation of the wall of the ancient temple of Israel. As you look at the wall, you see stones that are various sizes, and when you get to the very bottom of what is exposed today, you see two layers of very large stones. Those stones belonged to part of the foundation of the wall that was around the temple in Jesus' day. The temple, of course, was destroyed in 70 AD, and the Jews today don't even know for sure where it was located there on the Temple Mount. There's lots of debate about that. But in their archaeological diggings, they do know that these stones were part of that ancient foundation. We don't usually see the foundation of a building. It's buried in the substructure. It's down below. It's invisible. But oh, how important the foundation is to any structure. If the foundation is not properly built, the building is in danger. And so it is with our lives. If the foundations are not properly laid, or if they grow weak, our lives are in jeopardy. And so through the weeks ahead, we want to take a look at the foundation things of our lives and our walk with God. We want to firm up the foundation of our lives because, frankly, our lives are under attack. We're under attack from the deceitfulness of sin. I want to tell you that there are people all over the Church of Jesus Christ today who have done things in their lives, being Christians, that they thought they would never do. And the reason they succumbed to the deceitfulness of sin was that somewhere along the way the foundation got weak and when sin came against them they fell and then there's the attack of the world this world system that has been created by the devil it is insidious and so prevalent is the thinking of the world in the church of Jesus Christ today that we don't even recognize it. We have grown tolerant to sin. We accept things today as being okay that 20 years ago we would never have imagined we could accept. What's the problem? The foundation is the problem. And so we need to go to the foundation of our lives and do some work there to firm up our foundations so that we may be able to stand in this day of attack against our faith and our walk with God. Today we're going to go right down to the very bottom of the foundation, right down to the basics 
As we think about faith, I invite you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at this somewhat familiar verse in Hebrews 11, is verse 6, where it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe. He must believe that God is, and that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Pleasing God requires faith. Now why is that? Well, it's because faith honors God. Faith declares that God is trustworthy. Faith declares that God is able. Faith declares that God is wise. Faith honors God, and unless one has faith, it is impossible to please him. Warren Wiersbe wrote, Faith is not a luxury, it is a necessity. He's right. That's how important faith is to us. As we think about faith, I want you to understand, first of all, that faith is the only acceptable way to come to God. He who comes to God must believe, must believe, not should believe, not may believe, but must have faith. Faith is the only acceptable way to come to God. We see this illustrated in Hebrews 11. Now Hebrews 11, as most of you know, is a great chapter of, of the Hall of Faith of the Bible. It is the biographical snips of people who walked with God and walked by faith. One of those is Abel. He is the first one identified by name. In verse 4 we read of him, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. What does this tell us about Abel? It means that Abel approached God by faith. In other words, God had revealed to man how man could approach him. Abel trusted that. He believed that. He obeyed that. He came to God offering an animal sacrifice, shedding blood. Blood that was necessary for the covering of sin. It was the only way that God would allow sinful man to come. Abel said, I believe what God says, and I'm going to do this. Cain said, I'm going to bring what I want to God. Look, I've worked hard for these crops, these, these fruits of the field. I'm going to bring those to God. But God was not well pleased and did not accept the sacrifice of Cain. Abel believed what God said when God said, this is the way. And because of that, he was righteous. Hebrews 11.6 says, He who comes to God. This word come is used a number of times in Hebrews. 
at least seven times. Sometimes it's translated as it is here. Sometimes it's translated draw near. It is a word that was used in 200 B.C. when some people sat down to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek language. It's called the Septuagint. When they came to this, to, uh, to words in the Old Testament that described coming to God in a priestly way, they chose to use this word that later is used in Hebrews 11.6. To come to God means to come in approach to God as if one were a priest. Now theoretically, there are two ways that one may come to God, theoretically. Actually, there's only one. But theoretically, one may come to God by the works of the law. Now, when I use the term law, I'm talking about the legal, legislative aspects of the Old Testament. We usually think of the Pentateuch when we talk about the law. In the law, God reveals his holiness. He exposes his demands for our righteous living. These demands are often considered summarized in the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. My point is that if one can perfectly do the works of the law, he can be accepted by God. God establishes the standard in the law. And in fact, in Romans chapter 2, it says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So theoretically, one may come to God through the works of the law by perfectly doing the works of the law. Now, I would like to know this morning, if there's anyone here who's perfectly obeyed even the Ten Commandments, would you stand please and tell us how you did it? We would all love to know. We would be delighted to hear you boast about how you did that. Oh, well, there are no takers. You see, one could come to God that way, though, for the doers of the law will be just before God. The problem is that once you're on that treadmill, you've got to keep treading. And you can't miss a step. In fact, James says that if we even break one of the commandments, we've broken the whole law. We might as well get off the treadmill. So if one is going to come to God through the works of the law, he's got to make every step of the way. He cannot fail once. That's why I say, theoretically, one may come to God this way. Because there's a problem. The problem isn't with the law. The law is holy. The law is good. The problem is with us. The problem is with the sin that is in our hearts. And the result of that sin in us is that we transgress the law. We break the law. And therefore the law, as it was set up to do, condemns us. It condemns those who break it. And that's all of us. However, the law set up a system of sacrifice in the Old Testament. 
God did that himself. He set up a sacrificial system that was to be carried out through the Levitical priesthood, that is the descendants of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. And so his people in the Old Testament could come to God through that system, bringing the right sacrifices, trusting God, that if God said, you do this, come this way with the blood being offered, I will receive you. Because they trusted, they were accepted by God. But there was a problem. Those sacrifices, as important as they were for that time period, could not ultimately remove sin. They could only cover over sin. They could only provide an atonement for sin. In fact, in chapter 10, if you'll just turn back a chapter and verse 1, it says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of those things, the law can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they, that is the Jewish priests, offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. There's that word come. In other words, all of those sacrifices could not make perfect, bring to complete forgiveness of sin, those who came to God. God covered their sin, but the sacrificial system wasn't enough. Now, it says here that the law was a shadow of the good things to come. What it foreshadowed was the coming of Christ. All of those sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed to his ultimate sacrifice as the Lamb of God, just like that banner says over there. And when he offered that one sacrifice for sin forever, Hebrews chapter 10, then God fully dealt with sins, not only the sins of the current time, but the sins of the past administration as well. Those that were just covered over. Read about it in Romans chapter 4. Now, if we can't come to God through the works of the law, what is the one way we can come to God? There's only one other alternative, and that is the way of faith. He who comes to God must believe. Faith is a response of trust in God. It is committing oneself to the message that God delivers. Now in the Old Testament, that was the message that here's the sacrificial system. You bring the blood of these animals in faith and you will find acceptance with God. In the age in which we live, we don't believe in those sacrifices anymore. We believe in the ultimate sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. But my point is that all of those people who have been saved in every age, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, must come to God trusting his promises. Must come to God trusting his promises. And now God has opened the way to himself through the offering of Jesus Christ. Look in Hebrews 10, 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place. No Jew ever had confidence to enter the holy place. 
No Jew could ever enter the holy place except the high priest. That's what the law provided. And he could only come if he had the blood, the appropriate blood, shed in the appropriate way with him to sprinkle there in the presence of God on the seat of mercy. But it says here that you and I, now that Jesus has died, now that he has offered himself as the sacrifice and his blood has been presented before God, Now we can have confidence to come into that place that no one before dared enter except the high priest. We may come to the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the household of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Notice the faith. Faith is the only acceptable way to come to God. And now at the end of this chapter, in verse 38, he's quoting from the Old Testament, and he reminds us what Habakkuk says. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Or, I like the King James better, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The only acceptable way to come to God is through faith. Have you come to God that way? Or are you like Cain, the brother of Abel, who sought to come to God his own way? And you're trying to bring to God the works of your life, the good things about you, and and impress God so that God may somehow find acceptance with you. Surely he'll be proud of you. My friend, that's the, the way of works. And if you have committed one sin in your life, it disqualifies you from coming that way. You can't make it. You're guilty before God. You have transgressed his law, and the law condemns you. The only way to come to God is through faith in what he's promised. And what he's promised is that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, the one who died on that cross and rose again from the dead, the, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from the guilt of sin. Saved from the condemnation of the law. Saved to enter heaven and enjoy eternal life with the Lord. If you've not come to God in the only way acceptable to him, then I hope today you will do that and trust that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was sufficient even for your sin. However dark and deep may be the stain that that blood of Jesus shed there on the cross is sufficient for you. It is. It is. Now we learn something else about faith, and that is that faith is the only acceptable way to serve God. We cannot come to God by our works. We come to God by faith, but 
Though we are saved by faith apart from works, the faith that saves nonetheless works. The faith works. The only way to serve God is by faith. Now, faith in Hebrews has a broader scope than in the letters of Paul. Faith in Hebrews talks about not merely justification or the initial faith, but it talks about the continuing response of faith, as one writer put it. The continuing response of faith, of of trust, obedience, and endurance, which results from conversion. Faith in the book of Hebrews is oriented toward the future. It's closely connected with hope. For example, look back in verse 1 of the 11th chapter. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is oriented to the future in the book of Hebrews. Closely connected with hope. Faith declares God reliable. Faith acts upon what God says. This obeying, enduring Faith is the basis for serving God in this world. What does this faith do? Well, notice again from Hebrews 11 that this faith worships. We see it in Abel. We might even see it in Enoch who walked with God, but certainly in Abel. Faith worships. It serves God by worship. If you and I do not come into this place... To worship God in an attitude of faith, our worship is not acceptable to God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. When we come to worship God in private worship or in corporate worship, we must approach God with faith and worship him in faith, believing him not doubting him, not complaining against God, not denying God, but giving him the appropriate place in our lives. Numero uno, number one. We also notice in Hebrews 11 that faith works. It worships and it works. In verse 7 we read about Noah, who was warned of God about things not yet seen. And in reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. He had reverence for God. He heard what God said. He believed it. He had never seen it rain. It had never rained. The Lord watered the earth differently in those days. It had never rained. God said, Noah, it's going to rain. What, Lord? What does that mean? Lots of water coming down, Noah. The earth is going to flood. There's going to be so much water. Noah said, Boy, I've never seen anything like that, Lord. But Lord, if you say that's going to happen, I'll go over here and get my saw out and some lumber, and we're going to go to work on a boat. And that's what he did. You see, faith works. Faith is willing to take God at what he says and do something about it. Saving faith is a faith that works. 
we see also that faith waits. Verses 10 to 13 list Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of whom responded to God in faith by doing things, but who were waiting. And what were they waiting for? The land. God said to Abraham, as far as you can see, and let me tell you, when you stand in those mountains in Palestine, you can see a long, long way. And God said, as far as you can see, that's yours. I'll give it to you and to your descendants. He said that to Isaac. He said that to Jacob. And it says in this context that they died never having received the promise. They waited. They waited. They waited. They waited. They died. Now, does that mean they're never going to get it? No, it doesn't. It just means that God wasn't going to fulfill the promise then. God is going to fulfill the promise one day. And the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled, and Abraham and his descendants will enjoy that land that God promised them, and Abraham's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to be the king. But faith learns to wait. As I said a couple of weeks ago, we would rather God said anything to us than wait. At least I'm talking autobiographically. Because, you see, we're Americans. We don't have to wait. That's why we have drive throughs at the restaurant. We know what we want. We want it now. We want immediate gratification. But how often God says to you and to me, for good reasons, wait. And faith says, okay. And faith says, Lord, even if I die before I see your word fulfilled, I believe you. Then we see that faith weighs. It weighs. Look at Moses in verses 24 to 29. Look at how Moses weighed things. He chose the invaluable over the mere riches of Egypt. I say that a bit with tongue-in-cheek because Egypt was fabulously wealthy in Moses' time. I don't know if you've read about the, the uh, recent discovery in Egypt of the tombs of the sons of Ramses II. They say it may be the greatest archaeological find in this whole century. Fifty of his sons buried together in the Valley of the Kings. I've never seen that area. Someday I hope to do that. They think, however, that the graves have been looted. And probably were looted within the first century after their being buried. Now, Ramses II and his sons lived a couple of hundred years after Moses. You will read some liberals in particular who will say that Ramses was the Pharaoh of Moses' day. Not so. Moses was there 200 years before Ramses II. But Egypt was fabulously wealthy. And Moses was number one in line for the throne. Probably was going to be the next Pharaoh. He looked at all of that and he by faith weighed it. And he said, I don't want this. 
I don't want what Egypt has to offer me. I want what Christ has to offer. I want what God says. Faith knows how to weigh things. It knows how to see the invisible. It knows how to do the impossible. You can't walk up to an ocean and strike it and see it split. But Moses did because God told him to do it. Let's suppose God, walked, God told you to walk up to a swimming pool out in your neighborhood and said, you strike that swimming pool, I'm going to split the water. How would you feel about that? You say, well, what would the neighbors think? Moses had two million people looking at him. And God said, go out there, hit it. Lift up your, your rod. And what happened? The water split. He did the impossible. You can't do that. He did it. Faith knows how to weigh things. It says, God, I don't know what this means. I don't, know, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what the result is going to be. But, Lord, you say it. I'm going to do it. And then we notice at the end of the chapter that faith wars. It goes to battle. I think that faith tells us which battles we ought to fight. And it tells us what our resources are. At the end of chapter 11, you will notice that there were those who by faith conquered kingdoms, etc. And for many, living by faith, serving God by faith, brought great success. We read about them in this chapter. They're summarized in these verses toward the end. Faith brought great success to them, even bringing the loved ones back from the dead. But I want you to also notice... In verse 36 that it says, but others, but others experienced mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonments and were stoned and were sawn in two. They were tempted, put to death with the sword, etc., etc. To these, the same faith that brought others success brought suffering. Now, I don't know about you, I'd rather have the success than the suffering. But you see, the important thing is not God's deliverance. The important things is God, thing is God's approval. And it says in verse 39, And all these, those who did the spectacular and those who were tortured and put to death, all of these gained approval through their faith. That's the important thing. Not whether others see us as successful, not whether we've done something that's going to stun the world, but whether we have believed God. And if we have believed God and served God well, we've got God's approval. And that's what counts in the end. That's what counts. What role does faith have in your life? Where is it in the foundation of your life? Is it active? In the decision that, decisions that you make in your home. In the job opportunities that are presented to you. In the service opportunities that you have for Christ within the church. What are you trusting God for?
You see, God is never going to allow us just to grow old and complacent. Now, he may allow us to grow old. But he's not going to let us grow old apathetically. You see, God is the God who leads in the path of life, not the rut of death. I don't care how old we may be or how young, God today wants to stretch us. He wants to grow us. He will not allow us to slip into heaven with complacency. Where does faith fit in your service for God? The day I got out of chemistry was a day of joy second only to my salvation. But I have read that you can take hydrogen and oxygen and put them together, and what do you get? If it's two molecules of hydrogen and one molecule of water, what do you get, of, of oxygen, what do you get? Can you get that class? Well, you're supposed to get water, but the fact is that it doesn't happen unless you have a catalyst. A catalyst is something else that you insert in there to make the exchange happen. You have, a, you have to have a little bit of platinum to make the water form out of the hydrogen and the oxygen. You can be a Christian. You can have God in your life. You can be who you are. But until you have the catalyst of faith in your life, you will never experience what God wants you to experience. Where is faith in your foundation? As we come to the Lord's table today, we need to come to this table by faith. We don't want to come to this table in unbelief. We don't want to partake of these elements if somehow we are not trusting God. If there's something in us that is displeasing to God, that only brings condemnation to us. But God says, you may come. You may draw near to me if you believe. And so let us examine our hearts and confess unbelief. Confess whatever is not of faith so that we may come believing God to this table. Let's bow together, please. With the Holy Spirit examining our hearts, what unbelief may you need to confess to God? What is it that you've refused to do because you didn't believe that God could enable you to do it? Where have you said no to the Lord because you didn't have trust that he would come through? You need to talk to him about that before you come to his table. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. 
we do come to this table, Father, with gratitude that the way to you has been opened. Thank you for the offering of Jesus Christ, for his blood shed for our sins. We remember that as we partake of these elements. Thank you for this bread that we're about to partake of. Lord, we eat it in faith. Not that this bread itself can save us, but because we believe that the offering up of the body of Jesus Christ for us was sufficient for our sins. We eat it in faith. Amen. We partake of the blood of Jesus Christ by faith. And having been brought into his family, his eternal family, we need to be a part of a local church. Today we extend the right hand of fellowship to the following who um, are recent new members of our church. I'm going to ask them to come right over here on the organ side and to stand so that we may greet you after the service and welcome you into our church. Doug Bach, Joanne Conrad, Vince Heyman, Ken and Tammy Fafler, Dennis and Margaret Kurska, and Elliot and Cindy Trefetherin. If you're in this service, would you slip out right now as I'm closing in prayer, and we'll look for you right over here in the line. Thank you. Let's pray together. Would you stand, please, with me? Lord, we remember that the just live by faith. So may we live this week that we declare to ourselves and to all the world that you are trustworthy. And may the faith that we evidence worship, work, wait, weigh, and war so that we may gain approval for our service. In Jesus' name, amen.